don't know about you guys, but can you feel the joy when we come in here? There is a spirit of joy. There's a spirit of peace. There's a spirit of comfort that's produced when we come together. It's very, very powerful. It's that anointing that destroys yokes and burdens. It's the liberty that sets captives free. There's an anointing when we come together as a body where freedom can be produced at a large scale for the body, not just individual members, but for the whole body. God wants his body to be healthy, whole, and strong. When God led the children of Israel out under a lesser covenant, when he led them out, there wasn't one sick or feeble person among them, and their shoes never wore out. That's amazing. There was an anointing for health, and there was anointing for preservation, even to clothing, that the Holy Spirit administered to a whole body of believers that were called and chosen by God, that were set apart to manifest who He was in this earth. That's the lesser covenant. We have a greater covenant built upon better promises. The Lord has made us all witnesses of something. And we all testified to something. Our lives are a reflection to the people around us. They reflect His goodness. But I, just like you, I have become a witness of something. And I have become a witness to grace. And you have become a witness to grace. And the people that are close to you in life, they witness what you're witnessing. We have become a witness of something that is great, majestic, beautiful, powerful. God has placed us in the power of His love. The power of His love breaks strongholds. It frees mental anxiety or depression. It takes us from anguish to laughter. It gives us joy in the midst of trials or pain because it's a witness of the reality of a person. So when we say we're a witness to grace, we're saying we're a witness of Christ because Jesus is the manifestation of God's grace to humanity, of his love for humanity. We've been placed inside Jesus, which means that we have been placed in the power of God's love. What can take that away from us? The Apostle Paul said that he was convinced. First, he poses it as a question, and he says, can these things separate us? Then he goes on to say that, for I am fully persuaded that there's no angel, that there's no demon, that there's nothing in all of creation which covers everything that can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. And because I'm found in Christ Jesus and you're found in Christ, we all carry him and we are him. I could say, well, Mark is Jesus. Is Mark the reincarnated Jesus? No. Is Mark a witness of who Jesus is? So to somebody in his life, he was Jesus. See, Mark was Jesus to me. Before Mark, I didn't know Jesus. It's more than just a messenger, because when you put on Christ, you put on the person of Christ, not just the message of Christ. You put on the person of Christ. And when we put on the person of Christ, we become that message. That's why Paul could say to the church at Corinth that you are our letters. 
Not written with ink and pen, he said, but with flesh and blood. And then he says, known and read by everybody because they became the letters of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul became the letter of Christ to them because we're witnesses of something. And we have become witnesses of his grace. And it's beautiful. So beautiful. He's called us with such a high calling. Once you get a hold of the truth of how much you're loved in God, you can never devalue yourself ever again. You would never let anyone else devalue you because your identity is derived from the one that created you. So if there's a Ford and somebody says, well, I hate Fords, well, they don't make Fords. Chevy hates Fords, but guess what? Chevy doesn't make Fords. They don't value Fords. Why? Because they don't make them. How does Ford get its value? It would be from its creator. The one that created it actually places the value on it. If you want this pickup, you're going to pay this much. Chevy's prices have nothing to do. They have no say in what my truck is. That's the same God created us. And the liar, the thief, trying to devalue who God is or who you are in God, and they didn't create you, how could they take that value from you? especially after you witnessed Jesus and became a witness of his grace. When God himself would be willing not only to clothe you with the Holy Spirit, but to seal you with him. You have the Holy Spirit sealed inside of you. And the Apostle Paul said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the glory may be of God and not of us. God put the excellency of the glory inside of us. We hold the most precious substance in heaven and earth, and that's the Holy Spirit. If God thought we were a worthy enough cup to put his spirit in, not because of us, but because of him, because the creator is the one that gives the creation its value, if he thought that we were worthy enough to hold the Spirit of God because of the blood of Jesus, then how could I ever say that I'm not worthy? All I could say is I'm a witness to grace because I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve the Spirit. The Scripture says that God gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. Did Jesus earn the Spirit? He spent 30 years working as a carpenter. What does a carpenter do to deserve the Spirit of God? Nothing. They don't do anything to deserve it. They believe something. And Jesus would have believed his mom when she said, the angel Gabriel appeared unto me and said that I would have an immaculate conception. He would have seen it in the book of Isaiah where it says, behold, the son is given to us. Behold, the child is born. And it says in another place that the virgin shall give birth. After you conceive, you're no longer a virgin. <laughs> and the scripture says that Joseph didn't sleep with Mary till after Jesus was born. Prophecy fulfilled. So he had his mom's testimony, which is one witness. He had the word's testimony, which is another witness. And then we read in Matthew chapter 4 that there was a voice from heaven that came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So the voice, the word, the angel, which talked to his mom, all were in agreement. They were all in agreement and he believed. And then the scripture says, immediately he was driven into the wilderness and for 40 days he was tempted of the devil. No food at a weakened state, at a vulnerable condition, 
the enemy appeared unto him. But do you know that the enemy couldn't stop Jesus? And you've heard it said before that because he couldn't stop Jesus, now he can't stop you. He can't stop you. I heard Keith Moore say something, and it always just resounded with me. He said that the person who has an experience is not at the mercy of someone with an argument. Let me say that again. The person with an experience is not at the mercy of someone with an argument. There's been numerous times that whether we're driving, whether we're sitting at home, I will get the girl's attention when we're all sat down and quiet. Usually it's been about three or four times when we're driving, and I'll recount every single time that I've witnessed God show up. There's no other way than it's God. Why? Because I became a witness. I'm a witness to something. And I tell them, there's going to come a time where you have these same testimonies. And whether they happened 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it won't make any difference because when you recount them, they'll come up inside of you. The same emotion that they carried then, they carry now. Because the Spirit, when we witness Him, it's an eternal impression upon our spirits. It's not just a moment in time. I can witness to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit because I've experienced it. I'm not witnessing to a theology. I'm witnessing of a reality. You're witnessing of a reality. It's a present state that you live in right now, is that you have the Spirit of God just like Jesus did. The only reason you can have the Spirit of God is because of Jesus. The only reason you can be in Christ is because of the Father. The Father has placed us in Him. See, sometimes we discount the credibility of our own light because we feel like we're not good reflectors. Every one of us have felt like that. I don't care if you're a Billy Graham. It's beautiful because Jesus doesn't have boundaries. You ever been in the shower? Jesus comes talk to you? Well, if he wants to talk to you while you're doing that, of course he wants to talk to them. The only way that they're going to hear is through you, though. <laughs> it's the beauty of what this transformation does when we actually witnessed who Jesus is. When we actually become a witness of what grace is. What grace does, it, it allows you to look at somebody in the dunghill and know that God is actually going to set them with princes. They can say, yeah, you're covered with a whole bunch of nasty stuff right now. But this is what the scripture says, that God takes the poor and the needy out of the dunghill. And he sets them with princes. And then it says, even the princes of his people. Even the very princes of his people. Amen? I was poor, I was needy one time. I had no ability to reach God. In my lack of ability, God reached down to me. He took me from where I was to where I am. And the thing is, is he's not done yet. He's not done with you guys either. I honestly believe that we have some generals in here. I honestly believe that nations can spring forth and arise because of who we are. I'm talking about just the people in this room. I think we're so significant in this generation that God waited to put us here till this time. Because it says in Acts chapter 17 that God is the one who sets the boundaries for man, where they live, where they're born. God is. And everybody knows that the end is always the finale. It's always the finale, and Scripture bears witness to it too. The body of Christ is not going to leave here 
in oppression. It's going to leave here with glory. And right now, God is glorifying His church. He said something to me this morning, and I honestly believe it was Him. And He's talking about the message of grace. I was driving. We just had the music playing. And He said that it started as a trickle. It turned into a stream. And He said it became a river. And anything that tries to stand in its way will be washed away by the tide. I really believe that. Because right now, we are carrying a momentum that is backed by the Spirit of God Himself. And you'll find in Acts, after they whipped the apostles and told them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, right before they whipped them, they met together as a council, and the high priest that year stood up and said, don't touch these guys. Just leave them alone and let them go, because if it's of man, it'll come to nothing. But if it's of God, you'll find yourself fighting against God. And people who are fighting against the message of grace right now, they're going to find themselves fighting against God because he's raising up witnesses to the reality of who he is and what he's full of. That's why we can never discount the impact that we'll have. You know, the person that reached Billy Graham with the gospel didn't do anything like Billy Graham. But every person that's saved under Billy Graham's ministry is accredited to the man that brought Billy to the Lord. You know, if every Christian just reached their neighbor, there would be very little people in the world that wasn't saved. <laughs> it's so true. But without the eyes of grace, you cannot see your neighbor as a child. You will see them as a sinner with no potential to be a son or a daughter. But when you realize how much God loves you and that He saved you and you were worse than them. Like I was having this conversation with my mom one day. She was talking about how bad Hillary Clinton was. And I said, hold on, Mama. I said, let me tell you something. Hillary Clinton probably lived a better moral life than you. <laughs> Honestly, my mom was pretty far out there without Jesus. She really was. But when you're not seeing people through the eyes of grace, you will see them apart from Jesus. Instead of seeing what they could be, all you can see is what they're not. That's why it's so important to remember where we come from. That's why it's so important to rehearse before your family, before your children, before your friends, what the Lord has done for you. They can argue a theology they can't argue an experience. And once you have an experience, they can't take away your experience. All they can do is say, I don't believe that. I was having a conversation with someone on a certain day, and it was my mom. I said, I use her a lot, only because without my mom, I, I wouldn't be here either. She prayed for me. She prayed for me, and God sent Jesus. I mean, Mark. <laughs> but, uh, I was telling her, you know, if I told you, me and Heather stayed at the lake, and I had to hurry up and get to the other side, so I just walked across the lake. I said, would you believe that happened? She said, no. I said, why not? She said, well, no one walks across the lake. I said, well, you've already made a judgment just based on possibilities. You didn't ask, am I a liar? Has Steve ever lied? Does he have a pattern of lying to me about weird stuff happening. See, because they can question 
your experience when your character is not right. But when your character is right, they can't question your experience. They have to ask themselves, are you a liar? Is this a normal thing that I've seen from you in the past? No. No, it's not. Because when you're a witness of grace, it actually causes you to be more like Jesus, not less like him. It causes you to be more like him. You know that they said that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard? How did they make that assumption? He was eaten with sinners. He was in places where they thought he shouldn't be. There's quite a few times where it says that Jesus went about preaching the gospel of grace. The gospel of the kingdom of God. The grace that comes to us is something that God himself has. Our freedom was already purchased and paid for. Our freedom is real freedom. It's not just something that we say. The scripture says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. We're indeed free right now. We're free right now. There's no legalism. There's no bondage. There's no strife. There's nothing that can hold on to us because grace has set us free. Grace has. Grace has set us free. Grace is not confusing. Grace is God's ability to treat you like Jesus. But it is. Grace is God's ability to treat you like Jesus. Everything that Jesus deserves, because he actually suffered as a son and was obedient unto death, everything that he deserves, you deserve. Does Jesus deserve to be at the right hand of the Father? Yeah, he does. He laid down his life so we could live. He laid aside his deity and came down as a man. He knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like. Let me go to Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read with verse 1 down to 5. Then we're just going to skip down to 21 and 22. This is what it says. Arise, shine, for your light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Your light has come. And he's saying to arise and to shine. What are you going to shine forth? According to these scriptures, it says, And his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and flow together, 
and your heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto you. Verse 21. Your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch, listen to what it says, of my planting. This is the Lord speaking. He says that all your people will be righteous forever and they are the branch of my planting. Not of their planting, he said of my planting. The work of my hands that I may be glorified. Listen to verse 22. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. When I read that, I thought, why didn't it say it's time. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. He said, I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time, referring to Jesus, which is our time. And he says that a little one can become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation, because it's in his time. It's in the time of Jesus. And we right now are in the time of Jesus. These scriptures are saying that one of us can become a thousand. And another small one of us can become a strong nation. Amen. Why? Because we become witnesses of His grace. Because He was the one who planted us. It was the work of His hands. I can't even take part or pride in my salvation. If I'm going to boast in anything like the Apostle Paul said, I boast in the cross of Christ. I can't boast in my salvation as in me. I have to boast in my salvation as in Jesus. Because of Jesus, I'm saved. And it's because of Jesus, I'm righteous. And it's because of Jesus, I'll never be condemned. It's because of Jesus, God doesn't see me as sin. He don't see me as past mistakes. He sees me right now, presently, in His glory, clothed with radiance. And that's how he sees you too. He sees the dynamic power and the possibility because you've been sealed with his spirit. One person can grow into a thousand. A small one can actually grow into a nation because of the power of the seed that's inside of us. It's the seed of God and it's incorruptible. Right now, you are hearing seeds from God. This seed that you're receiving into your heart is incorruptible. It's the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Listen to what he says, and we're going to start in the next chapter, 61, verse 1. This is what it says. Let me go back and read these first, these two verses. Your people shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. Branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. And now we're about to hear about his time. This is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Reading this, I realized Jesus is actually saying, these are the reasons I was sent. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me. Who sent him? God the Father sent him to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. It wasn't just part of his ministry. It's the reason he came. It's so that he could bind up the brokenhearted that he could bring us healing, that he could open the doors of the prison that bound us so we never have to be bound again. I could speak to you as a prisoner to a prisoner, but what would that do for you? Because we're both locked up. I can speak to you as a free man, and when I speak to you, I speak to you as someone who can be free. Prisoner to prisoner doesn't work. Free man to a prisoner, introducing freedom, can bring freedom. These are the reasons why Jesus was sent. And then listen what he says in verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. When I was reading this this week and I seen the day of vengeance of our God. And I was thinking, well, God, if you're taking out vengeance, what are you taking out your vengeance upon? Because it's not people. I looked up the word vengeance. It literally means revenge. God is talking to the children of Israel, and he says, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. And God said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. The enemy is not the attacker here. For so long, we have portrayed him as this great attacker. But this scripture is saying that vengeance belongs to God. And we're right now in the day of his favor and the day of his vengeance. That the enemy's going to regret the day he ever tried to deceive an Eve. That he'll pay in our generations what he got away with then. That he's no longer going to rob, steal, kill, and destroy from the body of Christ that we are rising and we're shining and we've become witnesses to a grace and a power that's founded and rooted in love because of Jesus. That we can expect our whole families to come into the kingdom of God, our extended families to come into the kingdom of God, that we can see them as sons now, even though they're heaped in sin, that we can see them in Christ because without God seeing us in Christ, Jesus never comes. I don't want to see people as sinners destined for hell. I want to see the potential of what they can be when they become a witness of what I've witnessed because I was them. How could we ever think we're better than other people? I just thank God He opened my eyes. And if He opened my eyes to the knowledge of the truth that's found in His Son, He can do the same for them. God had great patience with me. And I expect His patience that was extended to me will go even further for them. Because my eyes have been opened to the revelation of who God is and actually became a witness of grace, I don't see them where they're at. I can see them clothed with love, that God still loves them because while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus. God demonstrated how much he loves us while we were yet sinners. That means if I look at a sinner, I should see Jesus. And if I see Jesus because I'm in Jesus, I should see love. 
I should see love towards them. Because the witness of this grace produces the atmosphere of love. The atmosphere of love is God himself. Grace allows God to actually come in fullness. Pride actually opposes God. That's why Mark was talking about there's no spirit of competition here. Because that would be found in pride. Pride isn't of God, it's of the devil. The spirit of competition, when it's gone, it can only be stripped away by grace because we have no reason to boast. You could say, great job, Steve. You, you preached a great message. It does nothing for me, I promise you. It doesn't. Why? Because I've already fell into that a dozen times. <laughs> and I made a commitment to myself that I'll never get there again. Can't take credit for a message. Just the unction that the Holy Spirit gives me to speak is as great to me as somebody being healed with a miracle. It Really, it's that significant to me. I know the anointing, and before I even get up here, I feel like I have nothing, and then I get up here, and all of a sudden, the unction is there to speak. And it's grace. It's because when we're committed to grace, we won't be found in pride. When we're committed to grace, God can flow freely through us because there's no judgment on the person next to you. Why? Because you realize that they can be where you are. <laughs> I won't pat myself on the back. The enemy's tried stroking my ego quite a few times. And you know, every time he did, God would just leave me up there with nothing to say. He would. I'd get done with the mess and be like, I don't know what happened. I knew exactly what it was. It was pride. It was pride that I wouldn't even admit it. I want to go into the places where grace can only take me. See, religion took me so far. If God wouldn't have opened up my eyes to the reality of grace, I would have stopped there. Grace can take me into the fullness of God because it's who God is. It's how we got saved. It's how faith came. Our salvation came by grace. The faith we have came by grace. It's all found in a person. It's all in the same place. It's in Jesus. Jesus has become the object of our affection because we're not. And when you're not the object of your affection and he is, you can actually see what he's affectionate about. People. He loves them enough to die for them. If God loves us enough to die for if he thought that we were worth dying for, do we think that he's worth living for? In his eyes, we were worth dying for. In our eyes, is he worth living for? Then I say to you, absolutely yes. For sure, yes. I would have absolutely nothing if it wasn't for the shed blood of Jesus. I would be absolutely nothing. Out of the full puzzle of my life, you take my brother not moving here, me, my brother, all our cousins, there's no way we don't end up in prison. There's no way there's a mercy, grace, and faith in Heather. Our car ride, our time spent yesterday, doesn't exist. It's because of the grace of God that I am here. And it's because of the grace of God that I can be a witness of what I've seen and that you can be empowered by what you see. And that you can empower other people to see what you see when you show what you got. You have a risen Savior. He's not dead. I'm telling you, I used to witness all the time, up and down, everywhere. It was pressure. It was performance. We'd go out every Saturday. It was rough. It was dry. But we did it because we were serving Jesus. God was happy with us. 
I don't even live like that anymore. I don't. So you're saying we're not supposed to go out witnessing, Pastor Steve. No. I'm saying you are the witness. Everywhere you go, you're witnessing a truth about God. Even if you don't say the name, the first five conversations, I'm not saying telling you to avoid the name of Jesus, bring them up. I'm not saying that. But it all comes back to who you're found in. And listen, when you're shining a light that bright, they always want to trace the source. Always. It's true. All right, to, verse 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. We're still talking about the reason why he was sent, right? He said, this is why I was sent. To bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, open the prison doors to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn. And then in verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. And this is the question that I ask myself. If I have ashes in my life of something that's been burnt or destroyed, God says that he wants to give me beauty in its place. And it's part of the reason why Jesus came. The oil of joy for mourning. And you ask yourself, are you mourning? Do you have heaviness? There's a promise that we can receive joy because it's the reason that he came. The reason he came was so that we could receive this joy instead of mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And this one, he says, the garment of praise for, instead, for the spirit of heaviness. So if you have heaviness, there's a garment of praise that God wants to extend to us. See, everybody knows what it's like when you lose something or someone and you mourn. All of us have great losses in our life. The world don't understand how you can have joy in the midst of mourning. I mean, by the time you're five years old, you've already attended probably three or four funerals. Everyone has. Everyone has lost someone close to them. And when we feel that heaviness, that spirit of grief, there's actually joy for mourning. And there's a garment that's called praise instead of heaviness. That because we have the Holy Spirit, we don't have to yield to these lesser things that are inferior to the Spirit of God and God's kingdom. That we can actually tap into something that's supernatural by nature. That we can be at a higher plane. That we don't have to stay defeated. That even if we fall, we can get up because the Lord is our strength. Amen. It becomes a testimony to the people around you because you became a witness of the grace of God. That God would pick us up after we fell. That God would strengthen us in our times of weakness. That he would visit us in the night hour. And that he would seal up the instructions for the day while we sleep. Mark's been praying something the last few times he prayed with me. And he says, thank you, Father, that this day has never been seen before. And the reality is, is that God has already seen this day. To us, this day has never happened. But God knows the end from the beginning, and he's seen the course that he's planned for us in this day. 
and it's beautiful. It's not a place of weakness. It's not a place of defeat. Like the scripture says, today to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. That he's going to actually have vengeance on the things that's tried to touch us. Vengeance isn't a light word. It's not like he's just he's actually vengeance. Because whoever touches you touches the apple of God's eye. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And last chapter, verse 21, it says, Your people also shall be all righteous. Here he says that it's the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and that he's made us trees of righteousness. And listen to what these trees of righteousness, which are us, should do. It says, they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations. This week I looked up this word waste because it says, and they shall build the old waste. I looked up the other word, and they shall repair the waste cities. The first one does mean waste, the waste cities. The second one is actually referring to like desolation. It actually says dryness. Thought dryness? What does dryness have to do with a waste city? They were looking at it in the natural. So when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't look like a king delivering his people. They were expecting Israel to be reestablished. So when you're reading this, don't look at just in the natural. It says, and they shall build the old ways. They shall raise up the former desolations. Okay, the old ways. They shall raise up the former desolations, the things that have been destroyed. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations. That means according to this prophecy, there's going to be a generation that repairs the breach that was in every other generation. And I think I would be pretty accurate in saying that we're that generation. That we're that generation right now. That we have the opportunity to actually exercise why Jesus came, which is vengeance of the Lord upon the enemy of God. Not enemies, the enemy of God. That we will actually exercise our God-given kingdom authority on earth as it is in heaven. That we will walk into fullness and we won't be stolen from anymore. That we will take back what the enemies took in and that we will be called the repairers of the breach. That will raise up those desolate cities, those waste cities, those dry places. Listen to what it says. It says, I'll skip down to verse 6. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast yourself. For your shame you shall have double. And for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. It says that where you received shame in the past, that God was actually going to restore you double of the shame that you received. Not double shame unto you, but double as in shame never touched you. Amen. 
Verse 9, And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord has blessed. We are the offspring of Jesus. We are His seed. And then according to this scripture, all the nations of the earth will see it, and they will acknowledge that these guys are the seed that the Lord has blessed. And I would be as bold to say that's the seed that grace has planted in our hearts that we're witnessing of right now. I believe that grace is the single thing that restores these waste cities that raises up the foundation of many generations that have been destroyed through religious tradition. That grace right now, what we're witnessing of, has the power in it to raise up cities, to restore the desolation of many generations. And where we receive shame in religion, now we have double given to us of grace. And people are acknowledging that these are the ones that the Lord has blessed. Amen. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof goes forth as brightness. That's why two chapters earlier he says, Arise and shine. And then he says, For Zion's sake I will not rest. For Jerusalem's sake I will not hold my peace till righteousness springs forth as brightness. How does righteousness spring forth as brightness? It's the grace of God. It's God's grace that we're righteous. And it's God's grace that is going to let this righteousness that says he won't relent till it happens come to pass. That's why we're here. That's why we're passionate about this. That's why we don't believe that we can lose our salvation. Because you can't lose God. I'm secure in what I believe because I'm not believing in me anymore. I was taught to believe in my own ability. But there's a greater ability and it's God's ability that's given to me through Jesus that I've been sealed with by the Holy Spirit that I don't have to live an inferior life. That I don't have to fall apart when things happen. That I can tap in to literally joy. That I can receive a garment of praise where I've been receiving heaviness. That I can walk free in the liberty that God paid for me when Jesus opened that prison door in my life. Amen. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof goes forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burns. Verse 12 of chapter 62 and they shall call them the holy people. Listen to what he says. We know it's us because of this next wording. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. That's us. God redeemed us. And they shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. (laughs) God sought us out. And now we are a people that are not forsaken. Amen. We've become witnesses of His grace. Isn't it beautiful how God can take a life and that He can still continue to perfect it despite all the imperfections that we have? That He can take the lowest person and make them the greatest person. 
that he can take the poorest person and make them the richest person. That he can take the person that's inferior and make them superior. And it's all for his glory. I'm telling you, we're the generation that is going to raise up the desolation of the past generations. We are. It's this message that we carry. Like the Lord said, it started as a trickle that became a stream that's formed into a river. And anything that stands in its way will get swept away by the tide. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for just the anointing that you bring, that you have, that we have because you reside in us. I thank you that you're faithful to bring it out. I thank you for your goodness, Father. I thank you that you have caused us to see the purity of this grace and that you've allowed us to be witnesses of something so great, of someone so great. We just thank you for the opportunity to be partakers of your grace. We thank you. We're so grateful. And I just bless this body. I bless this church. And I thank you. I thank you for the work that you're doing. I thank you that we will indeed raise up these generations that's been desolate. I thank you, Father, that there's a great harvest in the earth that's ready to be reaped. And I thank you, Father, that you have indeed raised up laborers. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.